Today's daf is daf pay aleph page eighty one in the Hilgim Masechus Baba Kama, and we pick up on the bottom of daf pay Amud Beis. Another fascinating daf ahead of us. We are on the very bottom line at the two dots. Tonu Rabbanon, the rabbis learnt, and so should we. Today's daf is going to focus primarily on the society that was created for the Jewish nation as we lived in Eretz Yisrael. And, you know, every society has its etiquette, its culture, its expectations, its rights, as well as its limitations on, on uh, its citizens. And today's daf is going to give us a tremendous uh, glimpse into some of what life was like in, uh, in the overall structure of, uh, of society after we entered Eretz Yisrael. So, Tanur Rabbanon, the rabbis learned, and so should we. Asara Tanoim Hisna Yeshua. Yeshua made 10 conditions that when the Jewish nation entered into Eretz Yisrael, he told each of us, You want to be now citizens of Israel? Everybody has to accept the following 10 conditions. You have to accept this is how it's going to be as Jewish citizens of Eretz Yisrael. Here we go, top of today's daf. Number one, Shiumarin Bechayrashin. What does this mean? If you ever have a forest in Eretz Yisrael, any animal is allowed to go there to graze. Even if you have one Shevet, one tribe, that it's officially their land. Another Shevet's animals in forests, which are not built up and dwelled in, are allowed to go um, and uh, and eat in those territories. It's fascinating, right? So it's not your it's not officially your land, but since it's not a built up area, every yid was allowed to pasture their livestock over there. Okay, that was condition number one. Everybody had to agree to upon entering Eretz Yisrael. Condition number two: Umalakten eitzim b'say the same, and also you're allowed you're allowed to gather twigs. From their friend's field. Condition number three. We're going to go through each of these. The Gemara is going to go through each of these. You're allowed to gather grass to feed your animals. Except fenugreek. If you have a field that grows fenugreek, a animal, you, you can't just take feed for your animals from those lands. The Condition number four is that they would cut off Young shoots, chutz mi except for except from olive uh, olive vineyards. Okay. So, what does this mean? If somebody has a field and a tree with young shoots, they're not doing much with it. Can I go and take the shoots off the tree because I want to start planting my own tree? So, you were allowed to, except you weren't allowed to take up to two handfuls from an olive tree. That was condition number, what are we up to? That was number four. Okay. Number five. What was condition number five? Incredible. If you have a spring that is pre-existing, everybody has a right to go ahead and take it. Which means if you came into Eretz Yisrael and there was a spring, even though that spring is technically owned, by somebody from a, the tri- from that tribe, from that field, from, from, from uh, who owned that field, 
any yid is allowed to draw water from that spring. Condition number six, if you wanted to come in with us into Eretz Yisrael. Umechakim bayama shetveria. Any Jew is allowed to go fishing with a fishing rod in the river of Tiberia. What do we know that as nowadays? The Kinneret. Every Jew has rights to fish with a fishing rod in the Kinneret. Okay. Ubovad, why are we saying a fishing rod? Why am I talking about that? There's a number of ways to fish. As the Gemara explains, as long as Shlayifrais Kela Viyamidas Asfina. Because if you start laying out fishing nets in the water, it's going to get in the way of other Yidin using their small boats as they move on the Kinaret, and that you have no right to do. You have a right to fish from the Kinaret. The fish is public, even though it's in Shevan Aftali. Anybody was allowed to fish in the Kinaret, but you can't lay out your nets in the Kinaret, because that's going to get in the way of other Yidin using the actual river. So there's... There's limitations. That's how we're saying a fishing rod. You can sit there with a fishing rod and, and fish. But, but to start laying out nets in a way that it's going to impede other people's usage, that's not allowed. Okay? Next condition. What are we up to? Number seven. You can go into your friend's field to relieve yourself behind the wall, even though it's a, it's a, a private property even though it's a private property, even if a field is full of karkoim. Karkoim is saffron, and um, when you had these fields of saffron, apparently they had higher walls and higher fences. So you'd think that, uh, that um, you know, in order to own the saffron and to be successful with it, you need to have more of a closed-off area. But Allah still was that any year could go into other people's fields if they had to, if they felt the need to, to relieve themselves to get to get some privacy. Okay. Not, now, next condition, if you wanted to come into Eretz with Yeshua, that you had to accept. Umahalchen You're allowed to walk on pre-created paths in people's fields until the second rains came, which Rashi tells us. The, the date of that, it's Yud Zayin B'marcheshvan. Okay, the 17th day of Marcheshvan, then you have to stop. Uh, you have to stop walking through uh, somebody else's field. It's going to start to ruin the fields. But prior to that, if there's a path, you're allowed to walk on that path. Somebody can't stop you. You're allowed to go off the side of the road because of Yesedais. Yesedais are pegs that are uh, that are in the road, okay? These were things that would harden and get in the way of one's uh, travel. So sometimes you had to go a little bit around the road to get off to the side in order to protect yourself and your traveling and somebody can't come out with a shotgun and say, hey, you stood one foot on my land, get off my land. No, you didn't have a right to go around the obstacles on the road. And also somebody who gets lost in a vineyard is allowed to find his way around until he's able to get out. Now Rashi explains what I mean to find your way around. Sometimes if you're going through a vineyard, you might have some vines that are in your way. You might have to push them to the side and, and break those. But that was, part of the, that was part of the agreement upon everybody that came into Eretz Yisrael. That if somebody gets lost in my vineyard, I understand that there's going to be different uh, vines and different shoots that might need to be taken down. The person doesn't need to show up and ask me for mechila 
it, this is considered public in order to help another yid. And finally, the last condition that Yeshua, that the Yeshua made with the yidin as we came into Eretz Yisrael and and took our land, which is umes mitzvah kaina mekayma. Incredible, umes mitzvah. Somebody has nobody to bury them. The halacha was that the spot that they were found dead upon, that is where, um, that is where they acquired the burial. Okay, they would be buried in that specific spot. Now, there's there's uh, the mafarshim here explain that obviously if there's a town cemetery, the town's responsible to take the person to the cemetery. Here we're dealing with when it's outside of a town, outside of uh, city limits. That the, the Mace Mitzvah, you say, who owns it? Well, it's the whole shape. No, the Mace Mitzvah acquires that spot. And again, we're going to go into, go into all these things. These are the, the 10 conditions that Yeshua made for all the Yidden as we came in there. So we had to accept this as the realities that are going to be part of our civilized, uh, uh, civilized uh, arrangement. Now, let's go through each of the 10. Says the Gemara, Shiumarin Bechayrashim. We said that uh, people are allowed to graze their animals in forests, even though those forests belong to another yid. Amar of Papa, of Papa explains, This is talking about young animals, smaller animals in large forests. Okay, small animals in lost forests. Why? why, why? Rashi says the forests that are owned by somebody else is not going to be ruined by small animals that are nibbling at things that are there in thick brush in large forests. But let's say I have small animals and there's really not much brush over there. Vigasa bagasa, or I have large animals in larger areas, so they're going to be eating more, and that could actually cause noticeable damage to the uh, what is the word foliage of, of the area. So then, light, it's not permitted, and certainly if you have a large animal in a smaller forest where it's going to be eating more and ruining it, such a thing is not allowed. So what we're qualifying over here is, is that tonight, number one, condition number one, that we all had to agree to of allowing our uh, other people's animals to graze in our forest was only true if those animals are not going to ruin our forest. If those animals are going to come to ruin our forest, that was never an agreement that had to be accepted. Fine. What was the second condition we had to accept? It was malaktim eitzim misaydeisayim that I could I could gather twigs from somebody else's field. So says the Gemara to qualify this as well. We're dealing with smaller twigs, nothing that is uh, too uh, you know too big, too impactful. to go take lumber. And large pieces of wood, you cannot take that from somebody else's field. And this that even we're allowing the smaller, uh, you know, the, the, the smaller twigs. This is with things that are still, we only allow things that are still attached to the ground. Okay. Um, if these twigs are already separated from the ground, you're not allowed to take them. That, that there was no uh, permissiveness taken. Why? Because if the owner himself cut them off, that means he needs them for his firewood or to start his own fires or for his own usage. And how's he supposed to know? Other people are walking through his fields and, and taking twigs. So if it's already cut off, then you got to leave it. There's a chance the owner did it himself. If it's still attached to the ground, 
most people don't uh, don't care and are not concerned about shrubbery that are there, and they're actually happy if somebody else were to get in the way of the overgrowths and cut it down. But detached, you can't take it. And this that we allow the attached shrubbery or twigs to be taken, they have to be fresh. Once they have dried out, you're not allowed to take them either. Again, says Rashi, because now it's capable of being firewood. And the bottom line is that you can't ruin the guy's field and you can't take any sort of shrubbery or twigs that there's a possibility that the owner of the field has intention to use them or has already detached them. So, uh, which, uh, which even if I don't know for sure, but since he has what to gain from it, you're not allowed to take it. So you can only take the things, what, what twigs are you allowed to take? The things from somebody else's field that he really has no, uh, has no usage for. Okay. So that's the qualification of the first two conditions. Then what else did Yeshua tell us we have to agree to do as we enter the land of Israel? I'm allowed to gather grass for my animals from any field. Grass you could just take except for fenugreek fields. Fenugreek fields I can't take. Says the Gemara, what's going on with the fenugreek? Yeah, fenugreek for me reminds me of the uh, Rosh Hashanah Simonim, right? Fenugreek is one of the Simonim that very few people, uh, uh, you know, it's in your machzer. <laughs> it's sitting there, but you're like, uh, I don't think I'm going to do fenugreek this year. Okay, so what's with the fenugreek? Are you going to tell me that the reason why you can't take grass from a fenugreek field is because you're ruining the field? That's the initial assumption. Why can't I take grass from a fenugreek field? Oh, you can ruin the field. That you can't do. Says Gemara, is that true? There are many asking contradiction. Till sun shall also mean asavim. If you have fenugreek that's growing with different grasses, ain't mechayven. I say lakar. We don't obligate the farmer to remove them because he's going to eventually because uh, the, eventually they're going to ruin the fenugreek. So is it good? Is grass good for fenugreek? Which seems to be from. Uh, which seems to be from our Mishnah. It's good for fenugreek, so you can't take it away. Over here you see grass is bad for fenugreek. Which one is it? It depends. Yeah. So if you're growing fenugreek for zeraim, I'm growing fenugreek first to seed and to help other things grow. Okay. So then, um, then you're not allowed to uh, take it away. It's beneficial and you're, and you're ruining the, the seed fenugreek. However, I might be growing fenugreek for fenugreek. If I'm growing fenugreek for fenugreek, then, um, then it's a different story. Why? Grasses are not good for fenugreek seeds. They weaken it. But if I'm growing full-fledged fenugreek, then grasses are good for it. And, therefore, and that's our Mishnah, which says you're not allowed to take grasses. When fenugreek grows amongst grass, May rachna they the 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 grass holds up the fenugreek and allows it to grow better. Hence, that's where our mission is coming from and saying you're not allowed to remove grasses from uh, from fenugreek stalks. Okay, ibayasema. Another possible uh, approach. Kan adam kan It depends why I'm growing the fenugreek. Am I growing the fenugreek for humans to eat, or or if I'm growing it for um, for animals? Okay, so. 
the um, the if I'm growing it for humans, then I don't want other things there taking away the nutrients. So it's fine to take to get rid of the the grass. Going for animals doesn't bother me. The Kiman the behema who the zara, since the the animals uh, were were, plant, were were planting it for that purpose. He also wants the grasses. says how do you know how why the owner of the field has the fenugreek? We're saying well it depends. He's growing it for humans or for animals. Says how are you supposed to know? Yeah, you're gonna knock on his door. Amar of Papa, Shari Mishari La Adam, Loi Mishari Lishari Lebehema. If it's being grown in a we'll call it Shari Shari means by rose. So if it's if it's being grown in a uh calculated way, then you have to assume it's for it's for humans. If it's not being grown in a calculated way, then you could assume it's being grown for uh being grown for animals. Alright. Period. End of that condition that Yeshua obligated us in. Next, condition number four. What did Yeshua tell us as we enter Eretz Yisrael? Everybody needs to agree. The That if somebody cuts off young shoots from your trees, it's okay. Except for two handfuls of an olive tree that you don't need to allow other people to do. Says the Gemara. Pirshur of Tancham, Rabirius, Mishum Zakin Echad of Tancham, and Rabirius explained the name of a Zakin Echad. And the name of an elderly person who is Rabbi Shua ben Levi, as we'll see, Bizayis Kibayom. If you have a Zayis, an olive tree, then you, you always need to leave at least the size of a Beya, the size of an egg. Bikonim, if you have reeds, Bikonim and vines, Minapakakulamala. Then it's from the pakak. You know what a pakak is? Pakak in modern Hebrew is a traffic jam. Yeah, anything that stuffs up. Yes, pakak. Yeah, anything that that stu- that it really means stuffed up. So minapakakulamala. Pakak means that there are various knots that grow on shoots as they come off the tree. It gets thicker and wider. You find this on flower branches and other branches. So you always have to leave from a knot closer to the tree. Usha'ar kol ilonais, but by other trees, min ubai shall ilon, you take from the, uh, you can take from the, uh, fruits of the trees. Vulay min chudai shall ilon, but not from the chudai. Not, not from the, um, Rashi says chudai shall ilon means, uh, bigger branches. It looks like, you know, there's smaller branches that easily break off, that there's thicker branches that are more of an integral part of the tree. Min chada she'inai isa peres, and also, you could take a, a new uh, shoot, which does not yet uh, bear fruit, but v'loim and yashan, you cannot take from a, you know, a full-fledged, already grown uh, branch, who isa pears, which is already producing. And this is true even if the limb of the tree that you're trying to break off doesn't have much exposure to the sun, which means that you don't have to expect that it's going to grow much fruit anyway, if any. Still, you're not allowed to take that top of Amr Beis. And certainly never from a place that has exposure to sunlight. As it says, When things are exposed to the sun, you have uh, lots of it. And there's a, you know, a, a lot more, uh, there's more nutrients and much better growth. Okay, so we have qualification of the fourth condition. Let's move on to the next condition that Yeshua told all the Yidden as we came into Eretz Yisrael, and he said uh, uh, an incredible thing, that if, um, if uh, somebody opens up a spring 
on their property, the Bnei Ha'ir, the people of the town, are allowed to use water from that spring. You're not allowed to withhold the water from the spring from the townspeople. Amar of Amar Rabbi Baravun, or Rabbi Baravun explains, V'naisin la'idamim, V'les hukhsa He says, maybe they're allowed to take it, but they should have to pay. Bottom line is, you, you built the spring. You uncovered it. Says the Gemara, but we don't paskin like that, and we're going to assume that our Mishnah means, what was the condition of Rabbi Yeshua? They're allowed to use from the spring, and they don't even need to pay. Okay, what was the next condition? Any Jew can go to the Kinneret and fish with a hook, fish with a fishing rod. Ubavad says Gemara to qualify that statement. As long as as long as you don't spread out nets to get in the way of travelers, to get in the way of people who are going boating on the river. I'm a lot of fish, but you can't start spreading out your nets and ruining other people's usage of the river. But you could, you could use other types of uh, nets. Okay, you, you could use uh, other types of nets. Which means, as long as you're not getting in the way of other people's boats, rafts, and usage, it's allowed. Tanur Rabbanon, the rabbis learned, and that's why they're rabbis. Barishayna hisnu shvatim zemzeh. Barishayna. Originally, before, you know, before Yeshua made this, uh, before Yeshua made this uh, condition for Klau Yisro, so the shvatim, the tribes, made a condition amongst themselves. Shla Yifreis Klia v'yamid asasvina. That nobody is allowed to... Uh, um, spread out a net and get in the way of any boats. But you could catch fish with a fishing rod or with other types of nets. They already had that uh, that pre-existing condition. One of the rabbis learned in Soshui. Now we're going to talk about the Kinneret. The Kinneret is in the portion of Shevet Naftali, and not only that, Sheva Naftali took the uh, a fishing net and they they connected it to the side of the kinneret so that it could have constant access to catching uh, catching fish. They built this whole fish catching system. Go and be Irish, go inherit the sea as well as the shore. So they had a whole fantastic uh, approach to how they would, uh, you know, how they would um, take full advantage of catching the fish of the Kinneret. Tani, we learned in Ebraisa, Reb Shimon Elazar Tulushin Shabaharim, Becheska Shal Shvatim Heim Aimdim. Let's say you have earth that is on top of the mountains. It's top of the mountains. Earth on top of the mountains is considered every yids. Every yids. Okay. So you go on top of a mountain, even if it's not your tribe's mountain, but there's loose soil, loose earth, things that are on top of the earth. You could take it, it's yours. But things that are attached to the ground, that you have that, that belongs to that shevet. Incredible. There was not a single shevet and not a single tribe from Klal Yisrael that didn't have some sort of mountains, some sort of valleys, some sort of uh, uh, plateaus. You know, openness. 
um, and uh, and low uh, lowlands that had like swamps as well. Shinamar, as it says, turn and travel for yourselves, and come to the mountains of the Amairi, and all of its neighbors, the mountains, the lowlands, the, in the, the open areas, and the beach, and this is all the seven nations that were with Canaan, and to all of its neighbors, Alma, you see from here, Shechenov, Hachehave, that uh, all the neighbors also had the same mountains and lowlands and open areas and um, and uh, all, all sorts of uh, qualities of land. And we conquered them, right? The Shvatim, ultimately, all of Klai Israel conquered them. So we have, uh, every Shevet has access to all those lands. All right, but that explains the sixth, sixth condition, which was that the Kinneret, every Yid had a right to fish with a rod, as long as you didn't get in the way of uh, people going on the river with boats. Fine. What else do we need to agree to as we came into Eretz Yisrael? You have to allow people who need to relieve themselves to go into your fields behind a, uh, a private wall and to, and to relieve themselves even if a field had saffron. Says the Gemara, what, what, what's the saffron? What's going on? Okay, what this means is that not only you're allowed to go behind the wall to relieve yourself, you're even allowed to take a stone from the person's field to clean yourself, to wipe yourself off. This is even true. You could take a stone from a fence on uh, on Shabbos. Okay. Now there's a whole Shiloh with this. Uh, whether it was a stone that was connected, not connected. If it's connected, maybe it's a problem of Sicer, of taking something down. But since you're not taking it down for the purpose of rebuilding it, a lot of tire on this uh, conversations. But bottom line is, you could take a fence from, you could take a stone from somebody else's fence to relieve yourself. That's part of the understanding. Marzucha Marzucha once had to do this. And he took a stone from a fence of somebody else's field. And he told his helper afterwards, he said, you know, let's go back and, uh, and uh, um, attach the stone back to, uh, back to the wall. Okay, so he was a chassid. He wanted to go out of his way and uh, ensure that the wall wasn't ruined at all because he had to relieve himself. But in general, that wasn't even a, a responsibility. All right, this was, again, a pre-existing understanding that every Yid had. As we enter Eretz Yisrael, these things are going to happen. This was part of living as a society in different ways that we had to uh, allow our fellow Yidin to have access to our properties. And it was, uh, you know, it was one big uh, cycle of Shvatim allowing this for each other. Next Condition that Yeshua gave us. You could walk through a pre-existing path in your friend's field until the 17th day of Cheshvan Amar of Papa. This, uh, this uh, land of ours, even when you have dew at night, people are going, uh, people walking on it are, are going to ruin it. 
Okay, and therefore it would not be allowed. Meaning you could walk, only walk through the fields at times where it's, it is allowed. If it's ever a situation where you're going to ruin the field, obviously you're not going to walk through somebody else's field if it's going to uh, ruin their land. You can also go off the sides of the road because of pegs that are in the road. What does this mean? Shmuel Rav Yehuda have a shakli va'ozli ba'orcha. Shmuel Rav Yehuda were traveling on the road, having mistalik Shmuel letzid adrachim. As Shmuel turned off to the side of the road, he was walking on the side of the road, not on the main path. Amalei Rav Yehuda, Yehuda says, "What are you doing?" Tanom shisli Yeshua afilu b'bavel. We're in bavel. How? Who are you to walk on somebody else's lawn? It's somebody else's farm. It's somebody else's field. You're on the side of the road. Why are you allowed to walk? In somebody else's land that are on the side of a public thoroughfare. Amar Shmuel said, Shmuel's condition applies when we accepted it. It didn't only apply in Eretz Yisrael, it also applies in Chutzlar. It says Rashi, incredible. Rashi says what Shmuel was saying is that this condition was accepted as, as Yidin. So a Yid, no matter where I am, if I'm in Eretz Yisrael or if I'm in Lakewood, if I'm in Budapark, if I'm in a place that has a very strong Jewish presence, this is something that, that uh, is, is, is allowed, something that's allowed for Yidin to do, to walk on another Yid's field when necessary to protect themselves if something is on the, uh, on the main thoroughfare. Okay, Re- Re- it's incredible, right? Incredible. In other words, this was a, this was a mahala chachayim. It just became a way of life, an expectation. Uh, I have a field. Another yid needs to be protected because there's hazards in the road. They need to walk on the side. It, the expectation is that I as a yid don't have a problem with him walking, uh, walking, uh, you know, on on the side of the road just because, you know, even though it's it's touching my, it is technically my land. It's on the side of the road. Yidin are okay with that. That's 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 how we that, that's how we uh, yidin live. Other yidin walk on my land again. They're not ruining anything. They're just making usage of it, and they need it for their protection. Inside Eretz Yisrael, outside Eretz Yisrael, this is this was what we've uh, this is what we accepted. Rebbe v'Rebbe Chia have a shakli v'ozli borcha. Rebbe Chia were walking on the road. Istaklitzi the adrochim, and they turned off to the side of the road. There was hazards in the middle of the road. Have a come afsiyah v'ozli Rav Yishua ben Rav Yudah ben Kenusa come ayu. Rav Yudah ben Kenusa was walking ahead of them. Okay, why? He was staying on the main road. He didn't agree to go to the side. So he's risking things over here, and he's, but at the same time, he's stuck in traffic, we'll call it. Yeah, he's not so excited uh, about his treacherous and hazardous walking in the middle of the road. Who's this this Yid who's refusing to go on the side of the road trying to be great in front of us, like really from a guy, real religious guy who won't go off to the side of the road? Who's Who's that? What do you mean? Who's this guy? Maybe Rav Yudah Ben Kenusa. It might be Rav Yudah Ben Kenusa, and he's my he's my Talmud. And you should know that we shouldn't talk negatively about what he's doing because he's a really sincere yid. He's a sincere person. He's not doing this to be all uh, religious and fanatical. See, sometimes it looks like people are going a little too far to the right. But we don't know what's going on. So he says, he's a sincere student of mine. When they reached him, they caught up on the side of the road to him. And he's busy jumping over all the pegs and the cones 
and uh, you know he's having a tough time moving forward. He's kind of stuck in traffic, and they're moving along the shoulder, right? They're going along the shoulder, so they catch up to him. And Amar Lehi said to him, "Ilav Rabbi ben Kenusaat, you should know you're lucky, Rabbi ben You're lucky you're sincere, yeah." Because if if you wouldn't be a sincere yid, if you wouldn't be Rabbi Yehuda ben Kenusa, because I would have uh, banged you on the leg with uh, with uh, steel, with steel, which means that there's times that you're not supposed to be a fanatic in front of other people. There's times where if something's allowed, something's alacha, that becomes the norm. You're supposed to be normal. You're supposed to be regular, and 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 not be you know stick out. In a fafrumta way, in a specifically religious way. But since you're a sincere person, we'll let you get away with it. I find this to be fascinating because you know why? I find this it goes both ways. It goes both ways, both with ways that people are come across a little uh, more religious than others, and sometimes people come across a little less religious than others. And and there's times where somebody you can really, you know, there are some people they could compensate. You can compensate. If you, some people are able to be more religious because you compensate it with your, is the word normalcy, 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 in other ways. So you can get away with it. Then there's times where somebody doesn't look so observant, doesn't look so religious, but they, they don't come across, you know, externally. Internally, they're so holy and so pure, so sincere. So they, they can kind of afford to not look so. <laughs> to, to not look to look. Now, either way, it doesn't make it necessarily 100% right. But sometimes you can compensate for for things. He says, you know, Rebuta ben Kanusa, this is not what's normal. But because you're because you're a chashuv, you, you can compensate for this. We'll, we'll let it go. We'll let it go. The reason I, I find this to be fascinating, probably because I have teenagers, and sometimes, you know, when it comes to the way we we talk inside of a home, or we, the way that we dress, the way that we conduct ourselves. So you might tell your child, and tell your child, you know, this is not the way that, that uh, the, you know, that expression is not an expression that we use in our house. Or that, you know, the way you're conducting yourself is not what we do in our house. Or the way you're dressing is, you know, uh, the way my mother would phrase it to, to, uh, to us when she didn't like how we dress. She would just say, you look cheap. She would say, you look cheap. You're better than that. You're better than that. But she wouldn't tell us, like, you're not... You know, you don't look religious. You don't look. You don't look tznius. She never. She wouldn't use that expression. She would just say, "Yeah, your clothes look cheap." That's what she would say. It looks cheap. She, you know, she expects more. Expects more from us. So, so you know, so you might say that one of these things to your child. Either, again, the way they dress, the way they talk, the way this, and they'll come back and they'll say, "Oh, but Mrs. So and So, or." Rabbi Bank, but whatever, you know, this person in shul is a very respectable person. And I heard them talk like that. And and they conduct themselves in that way. And they have a valid point. But if they're old enough, you could explain to your child that if you are like that person in other ways, then you have a point. And you know what? I probably wouldn't even bother you about this. Because you could compensate for it. You can compensate for it. But... If you want to say, oh, but that person does it, then be like that person 100%. You want to be like that person? Well, let me tell you something. You know, maybe the person dresses like that. Maybe the person talks like that. But let me tell you what else the person does. Let me tell you what else they do. If you knew their patience and their chesed and their sincerity and their gutkeit and everything that's about them, you don't even notice those things anymore. 
because it's compensated for for in you know in in other ways. And this is a fascinating message of this story. It's a fascinating message that there's times where maybe what we're doing is not fall in line with what's normal, so to speak, within the realms of halacha, within the, re- the realms of how a yid is supposed to conduct himself. But Lemaise, if you're sincere, you can compensate for it in, in other ways, and you're okay. You're fine. You know, it, Ultimately, it's fine. All right, let's go weiter. Hataya bein hakromim mefaseg v'yerid mefaseg v'ayla. A person who gets stuck and he's lost his way in a vineyard, so you could like break off Twigs, you know, and vines as you try to find your way out. Tan Rabban, the rabbis learned that's why the rabbis are Yachavere, Tayabet, Akram, Sambi, his fellow lost inside of a vineyard, Mephasik, Bail, Mephasik, Vyarid. He should, uh, you know, make his way out, Achim, Alul, Ira, the Derech, until you find the, the road or the or civilization, Vechidush, Tayabet, Akram. And if a person himself is lost in vineyard, Mephasik, Bail, Mephasik, help other people in these ways and do it for yourself. Says Gemara, my vechain. What do you mean you can help others and you can do it for yourself too? Why, why is that necessary? Yeah. If I, if, if, what's the difference if I can help somebody else by knocking away the vines or I can help myself? If it's mutter, it's mutter. If it's allowed, it's allowed. What's the novel idea? So Gemara explains, I would have thought to say, see, if my friend is lost and I know where he's supposed to go, so then we'll say you could knock off the vines. You know why? Because when you're, when you're not lost, you're going to break off less. You're going to break off less. See, when you don't know where you're going, you might be like, ah, I got to get out of here. If I know where I'm going, I'll be more limited in the damage that I do in the other person's field. But if I myself am lost, maybe I don't know where to go. How do I even know that the branches that I'm breaking right now are going to help me get back to the road? I might be going backwards. I might be going sideways. I don't even know if it's necessary for me to break off these branches. I could be walking in circles. Maybe I would say, you know, you could do big damage to somebody's vineyard like that. You have no rights. Maybe you should uh, just make your way back. To where you came from, and you can't start breaking off uh, branches. Kamashulan. So the Brisa uh, lets us know that uh, it's permitted for yourself, even for yourself, not only for others. Says the Gemara. One second. Ha who? This halacha that I could cut off vines if I'm trying to find my way out is a biblical right, and this has nothing to do with Yoshua having us agree to this condition before we came into Israel, that we're going to let people do this. It's a biblical right. How do you know that? How do you know that the same way you return a lost object to somebody, how do you know that if somebody's lost, you hit his gewalt, somebody stops and asks you for directions, you get a mitzvah of a Shabbat Something's lost. Person's lost. You help them find their way. Hashavas gufa minayin. Hey, no, there's a chi of a mitzvah in the teire to help somebody find their way back to the rightful place. Tamur leimer You should return him. It is incredible. Mitzvah dairaisa. Not only chesed. Not only is it kindness, but the same way it's mamish like hashavas aveda. Same way, if somebody loses something, I return it to them. If somebody's lost, there's a mitzvah to give them directions. Vashivaisay. Return him back to his path. So you see from over here. That there's a biblical obligation. If somebody's in my vineyard and they're lost, of course he can cut off twigs from my vineyard because I have a chiyav, I have an obligation to help him find his way back home. What's the difference if I'm pointing him directions or if my a few branches from my vineyard get cut down? It says Gemara, Gemara, Darai suhu dekabe be mitri, also who sakin. 
says midaraisa. Biblically, if a person's lost, he has to stay within the area that he knows. He can't just, you know, uh, pull himself from place to place. Maybe biblically, you know, uh, I, I would be able to tell the person, go, go back the same way you came. Also who, and therefore Yeshua came along and Tikin, he established the, the Mephasig, Vailu Mephasig Vier. Right? A person who's lost could even cut, try to get out in the other direction that he came from, even if it means knocking off some, uh, some branches and some vines. Okay. Finally, Umes Mitzvah Kona Mikoimai said, the condition of Yeshua as we entered Eretz Yisrael, if somebody dies without anybody to bury them, the place where they passed away, that exact spot of land, is now their plot. That's where they have a right to be buried. Says the Gemara, I don't understand. Veramini, I will ask you a contradiction. Somebody finds a mace, a corpse, which is lying be'esratia. Esratia means a rishus harabim, a public domain where people are traveling. You take, a, you take the corpse to the side of the road and you bury it on the side of the road. You don't bury it in that spot. You're not going to start putting up a tombstone in the middle of Route 70. Sedei Baru stayed near. If let's say there's a, uh, if let's say there's an empty field or a plowed field, so you take them obviously to the field that's not plowed, the, the empty field. You know, you want to minimize the, you know, the area and the usage of the cemetery. Stay near, stay zera. Let's say the side of the road has a empty field and a seeded field. Stay near. Also, you take it to the empty field. How you stay in Bairish, stay in Nira, stay in Zoraz. What if it's both sides is the same? So you could choose either side. Bottom line is, what's our question? A, a corpse, a mace mitzvah laying in the middle of a road does not acquire the spot that you find it on. You move it off in a way that it doesn't inconvenience the public. Okay. What we're talking about over here is that um, that uh, once you have permission to remove um, uh, to to remove the body, then you can move it to any place that he desires. What does this mean? So the Gemara is giving a very simple answer. The Gemara is explaining that granted, the corpse does acquire that area. So if a corpse passes away in the middle of a public thoroughfare where people are traveling, middle of Route 70, it technically does acquire that spot, but there's a problem with that. The problem with that is, is every person who travels over that spot is now going to become tummy mace, is going to become impure, okay? Now that's going to be a, a, specifically a problem for Kohanim, any Kohen nowadays, and a problem for anybody who needs to keep their purity. And therefore the Chachamim came along and they made a that even though it did acquire the area that it fell, there's an obligation to move it away. Which is the same as, let's say you, find, you have a regular person who purchases a burial plot in the middle of a public thoroughfare. Also, you're not allowed to. You can't do that. It's a, it's a detriment to the public well-being. It's getting in the way. So what would they do in that situation as well? They'd say, 
you, you move the burial spot to the, the you know to, off to the side of the road and to the next best spot that's not going to be an inconvenience for the public. So the Gemara is answering basic. Again, what was the Gemara's question? I, how can you tell me it acquires the spot? We find if it's in the middle of a public thoroughfare, you move it to the side. Answer the Gemara, it did acquire the spot. But now there's another problem. <laughs> the spot you acquired is an inconvenience to the public. And when that happens, there are abundant say, move, move over. Move over to the side. You can't just be a nudnik and, uh, and, and stay in that spot. So we're going to move you over to the next spot that's, that's the, the least inconvenient for, uh, for the, uh, the rabbit. Okay, very good. Says the Gemara, get ready. Amri Asara. We said there were 10 conditions that Yeshua made. Says the Gemara, Hani Chad Havya. The problem is that if you count, there's really 11. There's really 11, okay? Go back and count. So we had, you could pasture animals in forests, gathering wood, gathering grasses, uh, besides for fenugreek, uh, cutting off small shoots to be able to grow your own stuff, uh, new springs, um, fishing in the Tveria, uh, making, you know, allowing people to relieve themselves privately, walking along paths as long as it's not going to be a detriment to the field, um, going off the side of the road if there's a hazard, somebody who is lost in a vineyard can uh, can chop down the um, growths until they're able to get out. That's 10. And number 11 is the mace mitzvah that requires his spot. So we said there's 10, and we just counted 11. So says the Gemara, Amri, ah, sorry, you just said there's 10. Hani chad sarei havin. You know, the, there's 11. Answers the Gemara, Mahalchem Bishvili, Shalai Mayamara. That you're right, there's 10 enactments, but the 11th one, and which allowed people to walk on pre-existing paths until Yud Zayin Marcheshvan, that was later on from Shlame HaMalach. So the, it wasn't 11 from the time Yeshua, 10, the 11th one was the past. If somebody's already, you know, cut down all of his produce, so there's no, right now my field is not growing anything. If people walk through my field, they're not going to ruin anything. I have no growths. So I already harvested everything. And I still don't let people take a shortcut to make their life easier through my field. No, nobody's coming through my, my farm. Why not? Because I don't let. What does human beings say about that person? What does he, what benefit does this guy have? What pleasure does he have to stop us from going through? Like, what's his problem? What's wrong? Nobody's bothering him. It's just making our lives more convenient. What's his deal? What's his problem? About such a person who's just, you know, you're not going to go through my field as a matter of principle because it's mine. Yeah, why can't you make our lives easier? It'll save me 10 minutes. Why not? So, When you could be a good person, don't be a bad person. Right, very simple, <laughs> very simple thing. If you could be helpful to somebody, be helpful. All right, that's it. Simple dimple, just do it. So, ask the Gemara. What does that mean? Where do you find such a pasuk? That's an ex- that's an exclamation. If you could be good, don't do bad. Where's there a verse saying this? Says Gemara. In I'll tell you, there is a pasuk. Ksivki hagavna. 
is a pasuk which basically says these words in Mishlei, Al Timna Toiv Mi do not withhold good from owners, from people, when you have the power to do good for them. If you have the ability to be good for somebody, be good for them. If you have a field, people are going to save time by cutting through your field. You have no reason whatsoever to not let them. Let them. That's the way that he had lives. Says the Gemara, okay, so again, we listed 11. The Gemara asked, ah, you said 10. Answer is, there's 10 from Yeshua, and the 11th one was from, uh, was from Shlomo HaMelech. Says the Gemara, Vesuleka, are there no more cases, uh, I'm sorry, are there no more conditions that Yeshua obligated us to accept as, uh, as we came into Eretz Yisrael? I think if we should hold it here, keep going. Let's keep going a little further. What about Rabbi Yehuda? When the, you know the back then they didn't have uh, sewage the way that we uh, the way that we have. So um, there was uh, certain seasons when all the uh, manure would build up, and people, the owners, would uh, use a lot of the manure for fertilizer, but the extra stuff got pushed. To the side of the street, waiting for you know we have a, a bulk pickup, yeah we have bulk pickup. So the, you know the the extra manure got pushed to the side. So then you're allowed to move your zevel, your your uh, excrement to Rishus and you can keep it there for up to uh, for up to thirty days. You know sometimes they would even do this. To help with the fertilization process, and people would uh, people would trample on it on the road and make it more usable for fertilizer. This is one of the conditions that Yeshua told us as we came into Eretz Yisrael that people during these seasons are going to be allowed to put their uh, manure outside, and and uh, in order to have your animals trample on it. This was all this was all uh, part of it, which is incredible. Yeah, this is mamish how society ran. It's an incredible thing. You were expected to, you traveled, you, you expected to step in this stuff. Um, but people were doing it purposely so that they would have better manure. Says Gemara, and I'll tell you what else. Not only that, but we have more conditions that were taught us by Rabbi Shmuel, the son of Rabbi Yechonim Abreka. The time we learned the Rabbi Shmuel, Benai Shabbi Yechonim Abreka. Rabbi Shmuel, the son of Rabbi Yechonim Abreka, says, "Tanai Bezdenhu." It's a condition of Bezden Shehiz Ayer L'Seich Stei Chaverei that somebody would go down into his friend's field, the Kaitzei Sheiches Shachaverei, and cut off Seichai from his friend's field. Lahatzol Nachil Shalai. Now I'm not sure exactly uh, what this is. But uh, apparently, you were allowed to. It was some sort of growth that was helpful to your to devorim. It was helpful to bees. Rashi says, "I don't know exactly what this is." Some sort of growth, uh, part of a tree that was helpful to bees. And the owner, if you took this from somebody else's tree, they gained. They, they lost nothing by you cutting it off. But it was very helpful to beekeepers. So they made a condition that somebody who was a beekeeper. Uh, was allowed to take these things from other people's trees, which didn't cause them any loss, but was very helpful to him. To save his bees. But the beekeeper would still give over the value of what he took. All right? But he didn't need to ask permission. 
he would just take it and then go over to the owner and and uh, and pay for it. Utanai bezdin who? Whatever the market value was. When I said the meisaychai shachaverai and the uh, the, um, the the big guy also he, he had to pay utanai bezin who sheheza shayfichenai there was also a tanai bezin a condition of bezin that um, if somebody else was experiencing a problem what was the problem matzul duvshonai shachaverai in order to save the empty barrel the the honey of his friend this is in, mamish incredible listen to this this is mamish incredible. So, wine, I'm sorry, honey apparently has a much greater value than wine. So here's the case, it's gewalt. Two guys, two yidden are walking on the road. The guy carrying the honey, his barrel cracks. He gets a hole in his barrel. He says, my barrel of honey costs $500. He looks at the guy with the barrel of wine. He says, a barrel of wine is worth 200 bucks. You know what I want you to do? I want you to quickly pour out all your wine and we'll let the honey drip into your vat now that's empty and I'll pay you for your wine. Does the owner of the wine, is he responsible to allow that to happen? Yes. Yes. The owner of the wine should pour out, empty out his barrel full of wine to save the more expensive honey of his friend. And he'll be paid for the wine. What if the guy stops like, nah, I don't want to do it. Why not? Because I don't want to. You know what we say to him? What's the last letter of the olive base? Tough. You're going to do it anyway. That's a tonight of, that's it. That's what you didn't do for each other. All right? Well, you got paid, you got paid. But that's, that's what you do. That's the mentor thing to do. Okay. Utanai Bezin, who also make a condition of Bezin, she's a Mepharek Esetzov. That a person who has uh, his donkey full of wood is going to help his friend, the Tayyim Pishtan Shachaberai, and load on the flax of, of his friend also, which had more value. Okay? So, you have two Chavra walking down the street. One has a donkey full of wood. One has a donkey full of flax. The one who has the donkey full of flax, his donkey died. And now his flax is going to go bad. He needs to transport his flax. So he says to the owner of the wood, please, can I have your donkey? He says, no, I can't have my donkey. My donkey is covered in wood. You know, and I need to transport my wood. He says, listen, I'll pay you for all your wood. Just I need to save my flax. Allah is, the owner of the wood is obligated to give up, uh, to give up his wood. And be, you'll be paid for it. And load up your friend's flax. You'll be paid for it. Because these were conditions that Yeshua made as we came into Eretz Yisrael. So here we have more cases. We have three cases. We have two cases of Rabbi Shmuel, the son of Rabbi Yechim and Breika, who tells us that Yeshua made these conditions. And we have Rabbi, uh, of, uh, you know, the case of the, the honey and the case of the flax, as well as the original case of Rabbi Yehuda, who taught us about the, the right the, that people have to put their, 
their uh, manure out into Rosh Hashanah, so people will trample on it. You find more conditions that Yeshua made. So why are you listing 10? I got three more. It should be 13. Answers the Gemara. The last three cases are individual opinions, right? One was Rabbi Yehuda was the one who taught us about the manure. Rabbi, Rabbi Yishmael, the son of Rechman Breka, was the one who taught us about the honey and the wine and the flax and the wood. Those are individual opinions. And the cases that we gave in the Brisa are according to all opinions. And hence, were the only things that we listed in the 10 were those that were following all opinions. Okay, we're going to hold it here for this evening. Measure tomorrow. We'll pick up at the very top of Daf Pei Have a wonderful, wonderful evening, Shem.